great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna... What is up, Bills Mafia? Matt Perino here. Ryan Tablet will be here in a quick minute. We got some people in the house tonight. Came out to watch a live episode of Shout, a Buffalo Bills football podcast. Tonight brought to you by Wingnuts. And we are live in in person. We love to be Ed and Alicia, the, the OGs, the creators of these beautiful, beautiful chicken wings. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome. You're welcome. It's It's been a heck of a ride. And I'd like to share with you some of the origin of what happened when we started to develop the wing. Once we started, we had a little tabletop deep fryer and we threw two wings in a time into it and we'd take a bite and it was horrible. <laughs> and so we would throw them away and then we'd throw in two more and we'd take a bite and it was terrible. And we kept on doing this over and over for a year. Oh. And finally, finally, we hit the texture we were looking for. And in the meantime, all that time, we were developing the sauces. It took me 10 months to develop the wingnuts hot and make it what you chase today. Mm-hmm. Alicia did the wingnuts medium in one try. Wow. And 18 years later, it is exactly the same. Everything that we do in my house, it's better when my wife does it. So I'm not surprised <laughs> in the slightest uh, there, Ed. Alicia, what are your three, what are the three top wingnuts sauces? The wingnuts mild surpasses everything. I mean, that is our number one seller, hands down, global. Uh, the next one I would have to say is the honey garlic. We had it as a little temporary here and there, and people demanded bring it back, make it permanent. So we did. And the third is kind of a toss up between sometimes the wingnuts medium and sometimes the Cajun. And the Cajun is mostly because it's wet. It's not a dry rub. Right. Awesome stuff. Well, thank you so much. It is our pleasure. For this amazing um, chicken wing that we all get to come together and celebrate. Uh, It's a great combination between chicken wings and obviously Buffalo Bills football. And we're going to talk a lot about it tonight. Thank you so much for starting us off here. here. Every every time you're here, we're happy to help. Awesome. Ed and Alicia, right here at Wingnuts, we're going to bring in Ryan Talbot here. We're going to get into this podcast here because we... Listen, um, I know it's May, but there's a lot to talk about with this football team because we have OTA starting in a couple of weeks. And I tell people all this, or next week, I tell people all the time, what they say, what do you do in the offseason? I said, dude, my, my offseasons are busy, busier sometimes than my regular season. Bills fans want to know about this team in April, in May, in June, and July to get ready for the season. And next week, it's going to be pretty exciting. Yeah, I always say there is no offseason in the NFL, Matt. You know, uh, rookie mini camp. Now we have the OTAs coming up, training camp before we know it. There is always football to talk about when it comes to the Bills. So here, I'm going to lay out the show for you a little bit. We're going to start with um, OTAs. We're going to preview this a little bit, what you can expect from the coverage the next couple of weeks, who we're really excited to watch out on the practice field. And we'll get into a couple of to- topics. 
Little Dirty, fan favorite, in the news the last couple of days. Went on the Ty Don podcast. Uh, definitely shout out for Ty Don over at GoLongTD.com. Does great stuff over there. He had Isaiah McKenzie on. They talked about a few things. We'll get into that as well. And then we're going to come up with power ranking the AFC East, the top four off seasons. Who had the best? Who had the worst? We'll get into it a little bit. Some of the key additions to teams across the AFC East. But let's start with who you're excited to watch over the next three weeks for OTAs. You know, I'm going to go with, uh, first of all, Greg Rousseau. I had Greg Rousseau in a recent uh, podcast I did it with Joe Marino. And shout out to Joe Marino, Locked On Bills. For the most important players for 2023, I had Greg Rousseau as number two, Matt. I look at Rousseau as a player where, besides quarterback, pass rush is the most important thing in my eyes. And Greg Rousseau went from four sacks as a rookie to eight sacks in his second year. Uh, Pass rush win rate went through the roof in year two. I'm expecting that big third-year leap, and I'm if he has that double-digit sack season, I think that this is the, the year that he emerges as that main pass rush weapon for Buffalo, despite having Von Miller in the fold. I really like where you're going here, mainly because we're going to be talking about all these off-season moves for AFC East teams. I think Greg Rousseau, in a lot of ways, what they think of him, the Bills, is, is why they didn't go out and make a bigger splash at defensive end. And so I think with Von Miller potentially out for the first couple of games, depending on how long it takes for him to come back, and oh, by the way, I'm just noticing, man, are we color coordinated tonight, man? The the mustard is jumping off the screen right now. I love it. Did this surprise you at all? Because I told you I was going to wear the red. You did. You threw me off. We we called earlier in the day. You said you were going to wear red. I said ketchup and mustard. And uh, no, you showed up in the yellow. I just didn't do all my laundry, and the red was uh, still in the washing machine, so I apologize for that. Um, but w- with Rousseau, I think over the next couple of months, this is an important time for him. I mean, year two to year three, I feel like he could potentially take a huge step, and I think he has to now transition from being maybe Von Miller's sidekick or or understudy, not even understudy, like the guy that is co-starring with him. He's got to kind of become the star. This is a first-round draft pick, and I think that – over the next couple of weeks, it's going to be fun to watch and see what he can do. Really excited about him. And a lot of fans forget that he opted out of his final season in college. So that year off, he still made some impact plays as a rookie in Buffalo. You saw even more last year. I'm expecting him to continue to grow into that body, learn how to use that as a weapon, use the wingspan, everything is in his pass rush arsenal. Who are you looking forward to watching? I was really bummed out at rookie minicamp two weeks ago that I didn't come away with more on Dorian Williams, the third-round linebacker, mainly because, you know, and again, they weren't in pads. They're not going to be over the course of voluntary OTAs, which is important to uh, note. Not everybody will probably be there on Tuesday. I know everybody's going to be kind of tracking, waiting for maybe a Stephon Diggs updates, but if, if he's not there, I wouldn't be surprised. These are voluntary in nature. But in Williams, and, and I, I sent some stuff along to you, and I want to talk about him a little bit and maybe how the Bills view him and this middle linebacker composite competition coming up. Brandon Bean was on a podcast uh, with Cynthia Freeland from NFL.com uh, over the last week, and he did a bit of a dive with her on each prospect. And when it came to Dorian Williams, he talked about one specific trait that I think is interesting, block destruction. This is a guy that he plays physical, he plays fast, but he's also able to identify but then blow up protection plans, which I think, if we're being honest, was one of the knocks on maybe his predecessor in Tremaine Edmonds. You know, with Edmonds, shedding the blocks is one of the big things that people uh, held against him. And 
you know, it's funny. Brandon Bean did a circuit, I think, of podcasts this offseason, and he did the Greenlight podcast. And he talked about Edmonds specifically, and he said, you know, Edmonds was great, huge guy, uh, did a really good job here in Buffalo. But he also mentioned it was almost unfair to him to have to try to cover some of those running backs and tight ends out of the backfield. Because despite his athleticism, this is a guy that's 6'5", he was always a, a little bit behind on some of those really athletic players. I think the Bills are really going to shift gears in terms of what they're looking for from that position. And a guy like Dorian Williams is intriguing because he has the athleticism to stay with those types of players. Shout out to uh, Arthur Motes, former Bills linebacker. He does a show on YouTube, and I was watching a clip uh, from him on Dorian Williams, broke down some of his tape. And one of the things that he really emphasized in the clip that he showed Twofold. Number one, Dorian Williams is a really patient linebacker, which is a trait that, listen, when you're playing a million miles per hour, having a little bit of patience while playing fast, it's super important when you're diagnosing things. And he showcased. Now, he played more off the ball, that like weak side linebacker in college. But I think if he can get up to speed, and, and you have a take on this as well, it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up being the middle linebacker for the Bills. And then Terrell Bernard, who I know they're super high on as well, Maybe he kind of falls into more of a Sam role and they play more three linebacker looks. Sean McDermott's probably going to blitz more this season. I think everybody's talking about that. They're expecting a, a little bit of a different look for this defense after, you know, what in the playoffs the last couple of years have been disappointing finishes. Maybe some more three linebacker looks, Bernard, Milano, and Williams on the field at the same time could be a possibility. Yeah, I'm intrigued by that idea. Shout out to Arthur Motes. Don't cross the Motes. Uh, great guy, great former Bills player. But yeah, when it comes to Dorian Williams, listen. Uh, I'm really intrigued by him, but I don't think the Bills are going to throw him out on the field week one, for instance, and have him start. Because when, when you're playing that position, it's your responsibility to, to relay the plays, make sure everyone's in position to do their jobs. I, I think it's going to be something where they hand the job off to him for week four, week five, uh, when they feel like he really knows more of the ins and outs of the system and different linebacker position. But even with Matt Milano as a rookie, you know, Milano came in and he had to wait his time, bide his time a little bit behind a veteran. I think they feel confident in Tyrell Dotson in terms of calling the plays, being out there on the field, having a little bit of that athleticism. But eventually, I think this is going to be Dorian Williams' job to lose. Um, inside uh, Froth here, unbelievable selection of beers. I mean, if you go up and look at the chalkboard, I mean, 1 through 20 or 25, whatever the numbers are, there's a, there's a fun uh, experience waiting for you. Right out here at Froth, Wing Nuts, North Buffalo. The wings are off the chain, Ryan. They offer a wing flight. Explain what this is. Yeah, wing flight, just like a beer flight. You can get a little sampler of almost every wing that they have here. You can't go wrong with that because, you know, if you've ever been to a restaurant, Matt, you want to try something new and maybe you don't end up liking it. But if you get that wing flight, if you don't like one wing, hey, big deal. You have every other kind of flavor to choose from. So love the wing flights here. You mentioned the, the beer selection. I'm all about that juice life. Uh, I believe that's number uh, number nine on the chart. So highly recommended if you're here. All right, let's transition here. Isaiah McKenzie uh, in the news. Now Indianapolis Colts wide receiver. Uh, spent the past five seasons with the Bills in various roles. The Bills wanted him to take over that slot spot last year. It didn't really work out. He was on for over an hour in what Ty Dunn calls these happy hour podcasts where fans get to ask questions and one of the things that came up was talking about the playoff game last year and, and what happened. Because coming out of that game, if you remember back, Matt Milano talked a lot about not being enough energy, not being enough juice, and, and they just weren't up for the game. Well, Isaiah McKenzie talked about the weather and how much the snow impacted things. 
And some websites, some aggregators got a hold of it this week, and it went absolutely wildfire. Basically, Isaiah McKenzie said, and I'm paraphrasing, the game happens in a dome or in a situation similar to Cincinnati a few weeks earlier. It's probably a completely different game. Jamar Chase got a hold of it. He said that was his first game ever in the snow. It was the same for the Bengals. What's your takeaway from those comments from McKenzie and what it means maybe for this for this offense moving into a very important 2023 season? Yeah, excuse me for the, the juvenile example, but, you know, excuses are like butts. We all have one and they all stink, Matt. Okay. Isaiah McKenzie is saying that the Bills struggled. Get out. Get out. <laughs> Isaiah McKenzie is saying that the Bills struggled because of the snow. That's just a cop-out. I do feel like, sure, there, there were certain routes maybe they couldn't run as efficiently. But on that day, the Bengals were the simply the better team. And, you know, you can point to a lot of factors for that. The Bills were probably emotionally drained going into that contest. And you don't want to make excuses for this team. But uh, I don't think that playing in a dome, playing in warm weather, playing anywhere else would have necessarily changed that outcome. The Bengals were up and ready for that game. The Bills just did not show up. I love Isaiah McKenzie. Every interaction that I had with this guy in the locker room over the last five years has been amazing. He was always willing to talk. I'm, I'm not trying to um, crap on him too hard here, for lack of a better term. But I think like in games like that, when you just need to make a play, I'd rather a player come out and just say, I need to make more plays in, in a game with, my, with the game on the line. And the fact that they, they took Stephon Diggs out of the game, he was obviously frustrated – and for a guy like Isaiah McKenzie, who there were big hopes for him last year. Like he said all the right things going into the season. He had this unbelievable training camp and preseason and everybody was excited for what he potentially could bring to this offense. And it just, it didn't really materialize. Now he talked a little bit about how Ken Dorsey, the shift from Brian Dable to Ken Dorsey was hard on the offense because Dable really specialized in that short and intermediate area, getting the you know little guys, if you will, the midgets in the in the offense more involved in the passing game because of the lack of a run game at times. And so when you have Ken Dorsey who's so willing to go downfield and attack with big shot plays, it just it didn't transition the same way and as cleanly as I think the Bills would have hoped. And I think they knew that. And that's why they tried a bunch of different things down the stretch last season. Yeah, I think the Bills really did go into the season saying we're gonna try to do things, replicate what they did when they had a lot of success with Cole Beasley. But I think early on, they really realized that Isaiah McKenzie, there are moments there are, are teams that he could really thrive against. Man defense, for instance, using that speed. But it just wasn't the same. And, and when that happened, they started to use him more as a decoy and to start going deep with the ball. And the Bills did not have that consistent secondary weapon. And now, you know, you hope Gabe Davis with uh, no ankle injury this year can be that guy. But they go out and they draft Dalton Kincaid. I think that's going to really help them open up that middle of the field, being that quasi-slot receiver for this team. Uh, you know, Ken Dorsey, there were some really good things in his first year as an offense coordinator, but I really think he went back to the drawing board this offseason and said, I really do have to work on that short, intermediate pass game because you can't rely on 30, 40-yard balls down the field on a consistent basis. I got a fun little top side topic here that I just popped into my, uh, my mind. Who do you think, looking ahead to training camp and preseason, is going to be this year's version of Isaiah McKenzie. Somebody that comes into camp is maybe not somebody that everybody's talking about, but that starts to gain some speed. And then all of a sudden, by the start of the season, we have completely different expectations for a player after that training camp preseason period. I'm glad you used the word speed because Deontay Hardy is who comes Ooh. to mind for me. 
Deontay Hardy was listed as this breakout candidate on a lot of national media websites last year, and he had a nagging foot injury that limited him in his time on the field. I like what he brings. He's, he's faster than Isaiah McKenzie. He's a little bit better of a route runner. I think that he can come in in year one in Buffalo and really reestablish, one, his value as a player. And you saw the contract that he was given by the Bills. The Bills have faith in him and being someone uh, that can be a contributor instantly here in Buffalo. So one thing that I was kind of spitballing recently is what are the Bills, what, what are their moves this offseason indicated to us? Signing Latavius Murray and Damian uh, Harris, right? You know, moving on from Devin Singletary, they go with two of more bigger physical backs, maybe wanted to establish the run a little bit more, maybe running between the tackles a little bit more better, a little bit more consistently. Who is a player that's going to have to be on the field probably a lot of the time blocking out of the slot or on the outside if they choose to use Stephon Diggs on the outside a little bit more? Trent Sherfield. And so for me, if he has a really good summer, I think Sherfield could be in line, not only as like a blocking guy, like a Jake Kumaro type villain. I think he could be on the field and maybe even find a, a way to be this team's third wide receiver. I think Kincaid's going to have a big role. I think Dawson Knox is still going to be on the field a ton. So it's going to be hard. It's going to be like, you know, they're really scrapping for trying to find opportunities. But I think Sherfield does a little bit more. I like Hardy's upside. They went out and they paid him for a reason. But if we're going for like a flyer, somebody that's not on the radar right now, I think Sherfield could be somebody that really generates buzz by the time the summer's over. You know, Sherfield's intriguing because when he was back in Arizona, there was this great story written on him where one of the positional coaches said, listen, you should be out there starting for this team based on your training camp, based on your summer. But we drafted someone, and I think it was in round three, and we got to get those guys out there on the field. The one thing I'll say about Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott, they're going to play the best guys. We saw it last year in terms of fits for the system, fits for this team when they started Benford in week one, for instance, uh, over a first-round pick in Elam, who, by the way, we both love Elam. We both love the flashes that we saw from him. They're not afraid to go with guys that uh, maybe aren't paid the most or maybe are just kind of brought in here on a one-year trial basis, whatever it may be. Sherfield really had flashes last year in Miami, and, uh, he's had flashes in all of his stints with these teams. So in Buffalo, he's going to get a really fair shake. And if he plays the way he has in the past, maybe he will have that big role here in Buffalo. Physical after the catch, which is, I think, is the most important thing to think about when thinking about Sherfield. Okay, we're going to transition a little bit here to our last segment of the show here today. And we're going to talk a bit about the AFC East because I think reshuffling the deck a little bit and seeing kind of where everybody stands. I was reading an article the other day uh, from CBS Sports and they ranked from 1 to 32 the um, off-seasons for all 32 teams. No surprise, the Jets ranked at number two. Uh, they gave them an A grade. The Bills and the Dolphins, uh, the Dolphins got a, a B, and the Bills got a C. Patriots got a C as well. They were ranked below them. Where do you want to start in terms of looking at the AFC East, how each team has changed the complexion of their franchise this off-season? Who do you think's done the best job? You know, it's easy to point to the Jets because of Aaron Rodgers and, and the hole that they had at quarterback. I'm going to go, though, with the Miami Dolphins because of two reasons. Jalen Ramsey and Vic Fangio. Vic Fangio has found success in this league wherever he's gone. And a guy like Fangio, I think, can rejuvenate a Jalen Ramsey, who I thought had a really had a down year last year. He was beaten on a lot of plays. Uh, you know, you look at that week one game against Buffalo. Stephon Diggs kind of had his way in that matchup and there were other games too where Rams just didn't look the same. I think that one, Fangio can get the best out of him and two in Miami, 
Xavier Howard opposite him. I mean, that's just a, a lethal one-two punch. So for me, those two moves, based on what we've seen from a, the offense in Miami when Tua is healthy, that's a scary combination. I'm glad that you started there because if I'm ranking the my, – my first inclination is to say that the Dolphins rank third. If I'm ranking who had the best offseason, I'm going to get into it in a second, why I think that they're so far down. But I don't think we should understate the importance of Fangio – to that defense because of course like Eddie and Jalen Ramsey gets all the headlines but they they went out and they traded for Bradley Chubb last year they got to figure out a way to unlock that defensive line Emmanuel Ogba is coming back off of injury they have Christian Wilkins they have some nice pieces on the interior Vic Fangio finds a way to generate pass rush they go out and they sign David Long who I think is was probably one of the top defensive prizes you know a lot of people talked about Tremaine Edmonds I think Long is right in that conversation as well so they have some really good pieces at all three levels of their defense. I think their defense is going to be really good. But why I rank them number three behind the Jets and the Bills, and we'll get to who I have first in a second, offensive line. And it's the same issue that I have with the Jets. They didn't do enough to build around their quarterback. What happened for the Miami Dolphins last year, the last couple of years? Tua Tagovailoa gets hurt, and he leaves the game, and he doesn't come back for multiple weeks. And I think you had to find a way to prioritize the offensive line. Look at the Kansas City Chiefs. I know we always use them as the example. They're in the Super Bowl. They're in the the AFC title game. Things don't go well on the offensive line. Patrick Mahomes is getting beat up. He's getting hurt. They go out and they trade for Orlando Brown. They go out and they draft two Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith, back-to-back in that one draft. They found answers on their offensive line. And I think if you look at the Miami Dolphins, they just haven't done enough to add quality, reliable players. I think Tua is going to be under siege again this year. And he's playing in a division where it just so happens that all four of these teams have really good defensive lines. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great talking point. And, you, you know, you look at a team even like the Bengals now. The Bengals are doing the same thing. Joe Burrow has been under attack at times. They've been attacking the offensive line. If you really want to make it to the Super Bowl, be a contender, offensive line is important. So uh, that's a valid argument against the – Dolphins is a valid argument against the Jets, who, you know, when, when the Jets traded for Aaron Rodgers, they swapped those first round picks. And that really took them out of the offensive line conversation because all those top guys were gone by that point. Whereas Buffalo, which we can get into a little bit here, they really did attack the interior of their offensive line, at least this offseason. Really excited about Osiris Torrance. Yeah. And I think the offensive line to me was one of the things that the Bills had to get serious about fixing this offseason. And so they, Brandon Bean went into his top left drawer. He pulled out all the darts and he threw them all. And he got a couple interior pieces. And I know, you know, people have talked a lot about Spencer Brown being the only option at right tackle, right? That's true. Like there aren't a lot of other competitive pieces for him. But if Torrance is really good, if uh, McGovern is really good, and then maybe David Edwards gets into the conversation, maybe they throw Ryan Bates out there. If people remember a couple of years ago, he was really good at right tackle. And I know that Brandon Bean kind of, Push that to the side when we brought that up. The point being, they have a lot of different options. They have some players that can play multiple spots. And oh, by the way, Nick Broker, for, I know that you know he's played. He's going to play some interior offensive line for them. Play left tackle in college. I think he can play some tackle in a pinch as well. Yeah, they definitely have a lot of options. I really think the Bills, after free agency, were feeling pretty good about the interior of their line uh, when they bring in McGovern, when they bring in David Edwards, and when they got to round two of the draft and they saw Torrance just sitting there, it was just. Uh, hey, we can't go uh, you know, away from this guy. Top 30 visitor uh, was projected as a first-round pick. 
we would rather have more bodies than not enough, like Butker coming back as well. So they really are attacking the interior of this line. Uh, but Torrance, to me, really stands out the most, Matt, because the Bills have had this prototypical type of offensive lineman, especially at guard, smaller, more athletic. Ty- oh, Cyrus Torrance is not smaller. This is a big, massive man who can just uh, maul people. So I really think that when it comes to the Bills, yeah, he's going to be uh, possibly a day one starter, but he's going to help the Bills in crunch time, in those late games where they want to run out the clock and they can lean on those Damian Harris's and Latavius Murray's and, hey, Osiris, you're going to pave the way for these guys late and seal the games for us. There could potentially be four new starters on the offense this season. If you think about the two guard spots, uh, running back, depending on what happened. I mean, if James Cook's a starter, he would technically be a new new starting player for them. And then maybe tight end. I mean, Dalton Kincaid could end up being their starter. I know it's not going to be something that would be a departure from previous Sean McDermott-led teams and trusting things over to a rookie. And we could talk about that in a moment. But I think that what the Bills did this offseason, they prioritized offense. They brought in a bunch of new faces at multiple positions to give even at wide receiver, where you're looking at Diggs and Davis at the top of the depth chart again, Hardy, Sherfield, Justin Shorter. There's a lot of players that are going to be in the mix that weren't on this roster a year ago. No, absolutely. And I, I feel like Sean McDermott uh, went back to the drawing board at the end of this offseason and said, listen, you know, we have a lot of talent. We're built for the regular season, but come playoff time, we're just not able to hold up against some of these other teams. And we need to go out and we need to address that. And they do it with the offensive line. And they add a weapon in Kincaid in round one. The defense are able to bring back Jordan Poyer. The only starter they'll be missing on that side of the ball uh, is obviously going to be Edmonds. And it, it sounds like from Bean's comments, he was almost willing to move away from that, change things up, be more aggressive. So uh, I like what the Bills did. I like that they pretty much said we can get to a certain point with the way our roster's constructed. But we need to be able to take that next step, get to the Super Bowl, win a Super Bowl. And right now, what we're doing is not working. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. What's up, everybody? Matt Perino here, one half of the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast, here today to talk to you about Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app with more than 5 million members. It is the most fun and exciting way to get in on the action while you watch your favorite sports and players. You just pick more or less on two or more player stats for a shot to win up to 100 times your cash. Testing your skills on prize picks this playoff basketball season is the most simple way to get in on the action. You just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats, and submit your lineup. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what makes prize picks the number one fantasy sports app download the app today and use code shout s-h-o-u-t for a first deposit match up to 100 dollars. again download the app today and use code shout s-h-o-u-t for a first deposit match up to 100 dollars. pick more pick less it's that easy i know this is a bills podcast and i know that there's a lot of bills fans in this bar right now but Listen, I think the Jets had the best offseason of the AFC East. From the perspective of they went out and they addressed their number one hole, and even average level Aaron Rodgers that we saw in 2022 is worlds better than anything they saw a quarterback last year. I know our former producer, and we're going to bring on our current producer here in a moment, A.J. Sabalski, big Mike White fan, right? Mike White stinks. And I've seen (laughs) multiple times in articles – Talking about the Miami Dolphins offseason, 
Mike White being the first name that people talk about when they talk about what they've done to change their roster. Listen, Mike White is a he's a competitor, dude, right? Like he goes out there, he plays, he plays his heart out, but he's just he's not very good, in my opinion. It's a good backup quarterback, solid backup quarterback. Um, the Jets went out, of course, Aaron Rodgers. I like the Joe Tittman draft pick. They go out and they sign McCole Hardman. They bring over Alan Lazard. They already have a bona fide number one in Garrett Wilson. They're going to get Brees Hall back. This offense is really good. Now, what made it close between the Bills and the Jets for me was the lack of attention to the offensive line. Now, if Tittman comes in and becomes like a starter, and I think he's probably going to be, the other Connor McGovern is the only real competition at that spot. Makai Becton is back in the mix, potentially. He hasn't really panned out for them, but this is his, kind of his last um, chance to make to make a name for himself. There's some potential interesting options, but there's still questions. And so with those questions, I have some concerns, but I really like Chuck Clark on the defensive side of the ball. You talk about a really elite secondary already with uh, led by Sauce Gardner. You had a veteran guy like that to the mix back there with their defensive line, that defense is going to be really good once again. Yeah, and I'll add another name to the mix in Nathaniel Hackett. And I know, you know, wasn't ready for the bright lights of being a head coach in this league with Denver. It was a disaster. But he's he is coached Aaron Rodgers. He's going to be able to come in and play to Rodgers' strengths. And, you know, you mentioned the offensive line with the Jets. It's a question mark. Rodgers is not as athletic as he was before. But he's going to be able to get the ball out of Rodgers' hands quickly. You mentioned Lazard being there. They brought in Randall Cobb. They, they, you know, they brought in a lot of the former teammates for him to kind of work with early on here. So we, we've talked about this. Miami, uh, the Jets, they were, they were shopping at Wegmans and Tops. The Bills were at Aldi. And there's nothing wrong with that. The Bills, though, were financially, they could not go out and make those big splash moves. They couldn't bring in a Von Miller. They couldn't bring in those big names. When, but- we, when we go to training camp and the first time we go up to interview Puna Ford, I'm going to tell them that you called him Aldi. <laughs> I love Puna Ford. I was excited about that move. <laughs> but, hey, listen, they got him, though, on a great deal after the draft. So uh, it worked out for this team. But they, they couldn't make those big splashes like they've done in the past. And I thought the Bills, though, have done a really nice job in terms of the financial restrictions that they had in the terms in terms of the moves that they made. One thing on the Patriots that I want to bring up before we move on, I want to bring on Anthony here to talk a little bit about the Jets and some other things. I've kind of crapped on the Patriots a little bit over the last couple of months. We were talking about this, Anthony and I, before the show. They had a really good draft. Like they they yeah. they they got some potential starters. They got some guys that are going to compete for some jobs. And I think defensively at all three levels, they are better going into next season. They were already really good. They're always going to be really good with, with Bill Belichick on defense. Matthew Judon has been an absolute beast for them the last couple of years. I just feel like they haven't had a lot of help for him. If Mac Jones and Bill O'Brien hit things off somehow, and he can find a way to just be average, I think the Patriots have a path to being a pest in this division. Yeah, be, being a, hovering around that 500 yes. or slightly thereafter, but – We've talked about this. These divisional matchups, whether you're talking AFC's teams, AFC West teams, they know each other so well that there's always those teams that are pests to others. Absolutely, the Patriots can be that. I love the first-round pick of Gonzalez in New England. Uh, I like a lot of the talent they have there. And, and listen, they haven't drafted well in the past. Their entire 2019 uh, draft is now gone, out the right. door. Uh, but with this year's draft, they found some value. They found some players. And if Mac Jones can revert even to like rookie year form, uh, sure, they can kind of hang around and be a thorn in the side in the AFC East. I also don't think that that's possible. I think what you saw of Mac Jones early 
was just like first run through the schedule. Defensive coordinators didn't have tape on him yet. I think he gets really flustered really quick. And, I, and maybe Bill O'Brien can silence some of that in his head, the noise, and he can find a way to just be on, you know, operate a little bit more consistently on schedule. Uh, but I'm not holding my breath for that. All right, let's bring on Anthony here. Hey, everybody listening uh, in, in the house, let's give it up for Anthony DeChico. Yeah, come on in here, buddy. So Anthony, uh, he's intern. He's just wrapping up his internship with us. He's been the producer of the Shout Podcast now for four months. Um, you're definitely in the top three of producers of the show. Guess how many we've had? Three. Three. We've had three. Uh, no, you've been awesome, man. Uh, thank you so much for all of your help. Now you're a big you're a big Jets fan. I am. That's okay. Like people got real emotional about that last episode when you yeah. kind of popped on. Mm-hmm. If you're looking at this season, I think this is a fun exercise. What has to happen for things to go wrong for the Jets? Because right now, if you look at the national narrative, the Jets are the it team, right? Like they're going to the Super Bowl. If you look at this thing over the next four or five months, what goes wrong for that not to happen? Well, obviously injuries. I think between ABT, Brees Hall, you know, Aaron Rodgers, they're guys that just scare you. I think there are a lot of guys that can get hurt on this roster. Um, I also think... The whole Nathaniel Hackett thing obviously did work out kind of when he was Aaron Rodgers' offensive coordinator, but it was kind of scary hours at Russ in Denver. Uh, Russ was uh, not cooking. He was not dangerous in Denver. So it's um, that's really scary. But, I mean, I, I like where the team's headed. I think another thing that could be scary is um, Robert Sala in big games, kind of close games as a head coach. I don't think he really set himself apart as a head coach, especially in this losing streak. There were a lot of decisions, whether it be against Detroit, against a bunch of teams, kind of even that Minnesota game, the games that could have won, kind of put them in the playoffs, that they just, you know, they weren't winning those games. And I think a lot of those kind of fell on Salah. And I think kind of the defense was great and the offense kind of looked pretty bad. So, I mean, um, coaching-wise, Salah's going to have to step up this year big time if they, uh, if they want a chance. I love that point, Ryan, because one of the things that Sean McDermott has been so criticized for over the years, and they've had a lot of success, I mean – Five playoff appearances in six seasons. I mean, they've gone to an AFC title game. There's been a lot of winning happening in Buffalo, right? But when things have gone off the rails a little bit, game management, decisions on fourth down, mm-hmm. decisions on um, third down even last season, you know, that third and two 40-yard pass, and I know it was a Ken Dorsey call, but it's one that I think definitely gets talked about a lot. For Robert Sala, now this is the pressure cooker, right? Yeah. Every time he turns on that TV in the office, He's going to see Stephen A. Smith, Max Kellerman, yep. whoever's on the screen talking about the New York Jets. And now he's going to have to go out on Sundays and Mondays, mostly in prime time, and deliver. That's, it's going to be tough. It's going to be scary. Um, I think the offseason was really good, though. I mean, we, we got to be honest. Besides Rodgers, I mean, the offensive weapons they added around him are legit. Um, was offensive line addressed enough? Probably not. But I think Tipman, I, I think, I think Tipman. I think Billy Turner and I think even, you know, Carter Warren, who they drafted out of Pittsburgh, could be enough juice to get you through, you know, if AVT and, and obviously Beckton stay healthy. Yeah, and listen, it's a big year for Robert Sala. It's a big year for Joe Douglas. If this does not turn into a, a deep playoff run, in my opinion, there could be jobs that are, are lost this year because you don't bring in Aaron Rodgers to go with nine wins, ten wins, sneak into the playoffs. You have Super Bowl aspirations, and anything short of that, you know, you might have guys, like I said, out of a job because Joe Douglas, as much as he hit on last year's draft, 
there's a few of his other draft classes that really have not panned out for him. So this is a huge year all around for that front office and the coaching staff. As a Jets fan, now looking at the new like way that this division looks, mm-hmm. who scares you more, the Bills or the Jet or the Dolphins? And you don't have to answer just because it's a Bills podcast. If you're looking at the division, like what's the packing order now? Has it changed at all? Is it still the Bills at the top? And who, which team do you think is is more live at this point with the Jets? So obviously the team that's most live. I mean, the Patriots always beat them, but the Patriots got better. I think even this draft class, I think, you know, those first, those two first-round picks are legit, and I think Belichick's a defensive coach. I think those guys are going to do really well for them. They added Schuster, Gasicki. Did they do incredibly, you know, free agent-wise? No, but they got better. I think right now Miami still is the scariest team. I, I just, just with that offense, especially the way they looked early in the season, guys, when it was Tua and Waddle and Tyreek Hill, I mean, that was pretty scary. So obviously the Jets have the D-backs to kind of run with them, but um, that's a scary team for me because the Bills beat the Jets. You know, and but the Jets beat the Bills, so they went back and forth. I mean, I that first game was was really encouraging in MetLife. Um, obviously, the Mike White game, we can't you know hold that against the Jets. I don't think. And I got a little bone to pick with Mike White. I think Mike White, Mike White's a little better than you think, Matt. Oh my gosh, dude! Anthony and AJ are besties for life, dude. Every time we would do a podcast, I would talk negatively about Mike White, and AJ would have a conniption. Can I explain quickly? Yeah, go ahead. So. Think about it. Think about the offense he's going into. He's going into um, the McDaniel offense. And think about his progression um, this season. When he That first Cincinnati game they played when they won, it was, what was it, trick play? It was two years ago. Remember, it was trick plays. It was dink and dunks. It was check downs. This season, he was throwing the ball down the field. They were explosive plays. He was not afraid. You know what I mean? Obviously, like, I know the toughness thing is the thing you think is the only real skill is. But, I mean, he was really not afraid to push the ball down the field. And I think it's a good insurance policy for Tua. You know, oh, it is, for sure. You have a quarterback like Tua who's getting hurt, you know, all the time. You have no idea what his future is. I think you have a guy like Mike White who could make enough big plays down the field for you and at least keep you in ball games. He's better than, I think, Teddy Bridgewater as a backup. I think he's better than a game manager. I think he can put you in a position to possibly win football games. If if um, Mike White was the quarterback in that wild card game against Buffalo, I think, I think Miami's winning that game. Okay, that's... Maybe it was close. Maybe I mean, Skylar Thompson. But here's the thing. They beat him up pretty good and he didn't make it. Skylar Thompson got hit in that game too. And he found a way to finish. Here's the thing with Mike White, Ryan, and you can kind of take it from here on Mike White. My biggest. So you've been a Jets fan for how long? Your whole life? How many years? 22. So, yeah. Right. So I w- before I started on this job and we're not going to get into the Bills fan talk here. Okay. People watching at home. Uh, I've took a lot of heat for this the last couple of days. People just want to live in a world where I lie to them and just tell them I root for the bills. Doesn't matter. Like I root for them. Um, so I, I, I see myself in you because I spent years watching the EJ manuals of the world, the Kyle Orton's yeah. of the world and finding a way to lie to myself and say, there's a world that we can live in where they can be a good quarterback. But the, the truth of the matter is, listen, Mike white can make big plays at times, but he can also make some really Bad plays. I do agree with that take, though. I do think he's a significant upgrade over Teddy Bridgewater. You know, to me, he's almost like a little bit of a Ryan Fitzpatrick. You can trust him in in Whoa. a one year, two Whoa. or one game, two game stint, but you don't want him out there long term. Whoa, whoa! We are not going to put Ryan Fitzpatrick and Mike White in the same bucket. I'm sorry, I can't do that for you. you Ryan know- Fitzpatrick was like. He was a good player for a, a lot of years. Like, Mike White has had good games. Like, I know, he threw for 400 yards in the one game, right? Yeah. 
most of the rest of it has been eh. Fitzpatrick also lost the Jets that game against Buffalo. Remember that one, the Rex Ryan game? Playoffs on the line. Playoffs on the line. You know, he's not as much of a fan favorite as Fitzpatrick, but I'm just saying, like, there are games where you can, he's going to surprise you and he's going to go for 300 yards. He's going to have three tees. But then there's going to be those games, too, where he just doesn't show up and he struggles and he turns the ball over. And it's like, where was this guy? You know, what happened to the guy from last week? And there was a lot of that with Fitzpatrick throughout his career. That's That's a good comp. All right. He's Ryan Talbot. He's Anthony DeChico. Let's give it up for Anthony, who's graduating tomorrow from the University of Buffalo. Congratulations, brother. Thank you. Thank you so much for a great semester. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm Matt Perino. This has been Shout Live from Wingnuts. We'll be here once a month uh, with a live show. Best wings in town. Come on over to Froth. Get some delicious beers. And once a month, come up here, hang out with us, talk some bills. It's a great time. We'll see you guys next week. OTAs, have a great night. Take care, everybody. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.